0: The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For the Secret Church 6 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC6. This is Secret Church 6, Episode 2. We're going to fly through this, but basically what I wanted to give you in your notes here was, was in Scripture, and it predominantly comes from Mark. There's some scriptures especially intertwined here from John, but basically from Mark, basically a timeline of the cross that just gives you a picture of what happened over this last week, a couple of thousand years ago. The timeline. On Saturday, you have the anointing of Jesus. We're not going to read through these scriptures. We're going to go through this pretty quick. The anointing of Jesus. Jesus arrived at Bethany and... He is anointed by Mary who takes this expensive perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet. Sunday, the arrival of Jesus, this is the Palm Sunday entrance into Jerusalem. Then on Monday, comes back into Jerusalem, goes to the temple, the anger of Jesus. This is when Jesus, holy anger, when He comes into the temple and He begins turning over tables and teaches us much about worship and the purposes of God and really is a a foretelling of what's about to happen when it comes to the whole temple picture that the people of Israel had uh, operated under. Tuesday, we have Jesus teaching, and there's a lot that's going on in his teaching and conversation during that time. Sum it up here, the authority of Jesus, his authority is challenged. We see particularly the chief priests and the teachers of the law challenging Jesus' authority and him asserting his authority in response to them. So the stage is being set here, and there's obviously a a real tension between the religious leaders and Jesus that has obviously been developing for a long time, but it's coming to a head here. Tuesday, Wednesday, not sure exactly the betrayal of Jesus. This is when uh, Judas goes to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them and then begins looking for an opportunity to hand him over. That was Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, Monday. Thursday, we see Jesus... Gather around with his disciples at the Last Supper. And it's the Passover time. We'll talk about this. Uh, Obviously, just the incredible picture here of the humility of Christ as he washes his disciples' feet. The humility of Christ. He washes his disciples' feet. Last night, was reading over that narrative with our boys at home. And just talking about the picture of God in the flesh, washing dirty feet as a servant. The prophecy of Christ, he predicts Peter's denial. And then the comfort of Christ. And this is particularly in John 14, 15, 16. He he promises the Holy Spirit, the comfort of Christ. He promises the Holy Spirit. He's encouraging them. He's he's building them up because of what is about to happen. And then the prayer of Christ in John 17 as he intercedes for his disciples. Then we move into the Garden of Gethsemane. Late Thursday evening. We see three agonizing prayers. Three times he goes aside, and we're going to look at the garden tonight. It's one of those scenes in the journey to the cross that we're going to dive into. But three agonizing prayers, and meanwhile, three tired disciples. Every time he comes back, and, and they're sleeping, resting. All of that leads late Thursday evening from the garden to the arrest of Jesus. The arrest of Jesus. Jesus comes and kisses Christ on the cheek, and, and he is arrested there. That leads to a very long evening, Thursday night into Friday morning. The trials of Jesus really split up into th- two categories. Number, number one, before the Jewish authorities. We see there's, there's six different pictures here. Three before the Jewish authorities, preliminary hearing before Annas, and then a hearing before Caiaphas, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, and then the trial before the council. And so then at the end of that, Mark 15, 1, they bound Jesus, Jesus led him away and handed him over to Pilate. That leads to Jesus before the Roman authorities. And so Jesus is handed over to the Roman authorities. And he has a first hearing before Pilate and a hearing before Herod and then a last hearing before Pilate. And from the end of that last hearing before Pilate, we see Mark 15. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. We shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate, but they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. This led to the torture of Jesus. They put a purple robe on him then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Crucifixion of Jesus, we have the first three hours. It's the third hour when they crucified him, put the notice above him, king of the Jews. And what we see is Jesus begin to speak from the cross a few different times. First, Luke 23, the prayer for his persecutors. Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Next, the promise to the criminal. Today you will be with me in paradise. Next, the provision for his mother. Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, John. Presumably standing nearby, and he said to his mother, from that time on, John took her into his home. And in the last three hours, what we see is at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, and what we see is the cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Another one of the facets of the journey we're going to look at. The acknowledgement of thirst, I'm thirsty, and then the declaration, the cry of triumph. When he had received the drink, Jesus said it is finished, and then the cry of resignation, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. So that's the historical journey in a nutshell to the cross. Here's the, that's, that's the timeline, the tragedy. Some deny the fact of the cross. Some deny. No, no serious historians really deny the existence of Jesus Christ. But many deny the fact of the cross, notably Muslims. You see this quote from the Quran. They deny that Jesus died on the cross, that they said and boast, We killed Christ Jesus, the Son of Mary, the Apostle of God. But they killed him not, nor crucified him. But so it was made to appear to them, and those who differ therein are full of doubts, with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow. For of a surety they killed him not. Nay, God raised him up unto himself, and God is exalted in power, wise, Muslims see the crucifixion as a preposterous idea. One Sunni Muslim scholar even wrote, we honor Jesus more than you Christians do. We refuse to believe that God would permit him to suffer death on the cross. Muslims would say that what we're talking about tonight is a low view of Jesus. And it's at this point where we need to realize especially in our pluralistic day where there are all kinds of different religions, and religion is looked at as a matter of preference. And people all across our culture and all across the church today say things like, well, all religions are fundamentally the same, just superficially different. They're all fundamentally the same, superficially different. This is where we need to realize this is a core truth at which Islam and Christianity, and really Christianity and Judaism for that matter, divide. And it's not a matter of preference. It's a matter of truth. Not even asking you to determine which one is true necessarily, but the reality is either Jesus died on a cross or he did not. If he did not, then we are wasting our times tonight. And we're fools to be following Christianity. Bible says that. 1 Corinthians 15. If he didn't die on the cross, if he did, this has huge ramifications for all of our lives, for all of eternity. And so we need to know whether or not he died on the cross. It's not superficial difference. It's just radical difference. Some deny the fact of the cross. Despite what Muhammad said those much closer to the historical situation, Christians and non-Christians alike reported that it was indeed Jesus who died on the cross. Some deny the fact of the cross. But even for those who might accept the fact of the cross, most miss the meaning of the cross. i got a quote here from Gandhi. I could accept Jesus as a martyr, an embodiment of sacrifice, and a divine teacher, but not as the most perfect man ever born. His death on the cross was a great example to the world. but that there was anything like a mysterious or miraculous, miraculous miraculous virtue in it, my heart could not accept. The reality is whether it's Gandhi or other religious teachers or the countless millions of religious Americans who watch the passion of Christ, there's a great lack of understanding about what's happening on the cross because it is so much deeper than an example. Most miss the meaning of the cross, which leads us to the reality we're diving into tonight. We all need the truth of the cross. E. Stanley Jones said, the cross is the key. If I lose this key, I fumble. The universe will not open to me, but with the key in my hand, I know I hold it secret. The cross is not just an event to be discussed. The cross is not just an event to be discussed, and the cross is not just an image to be viewed. The cross is not just an event to be discussed or an image to be viewed. The cross represents truth to be believed. Truth to be believed, trusted in, to bank your life on. So what is that truth? Talking about the history of the cross here, what I want to do is just give a brief synopsis of church history and how how Christians in the history of the church have viewed the cross. One term, and the key term, theological term here, is atonement. Atonement. Look on your brother or sister's page to figure out how to spell atonement. Atonement. And this is a word, theological word, that sums up to be at one. That's how do you spell it, at one meant. Did you get that? Still early in the night. You got that. At one meant. But the picture is how are, how are our holy God and sinful men made brought to be one with one another, united together, atoned. What is the condition or the price that is paid? What has to happen in order for that to take place, in order for them to be at one? How does the cross provide salvation for man? And the answer to that question is is multifaceted, as we're going to see tonight. But there's been all kinds of different theories. As church has said, what's so significant about the cross? All kinds of theories. One theory. We're going to run through these quick. The ransom theory. Church fathers like Origen all the way to... 20th century theologians like Gustave Alain, who basically said, in the cross, Jesus delivers us from the powers of evil by paying a ransom price to the devil. And so the picture is, we are held captive by the devil, and God pays a ransom to the devil in the form of his son's death in order to buy us out of our captivity. If you've seen C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, read that or seen the movies, this is kind of the picture that... the Evil witch, okay, if you haven't heard them, watch the movie, you're like totally out of this. But if you have, the evil witch says, yes, a price has to be paid to me in order for Edmund to be let go. So Aslan has to pay me a price, okay? That's, that's kind of the picture that's being expressed here. And the main picture is Christ is victor. He's the one who, who, who conquered Satan, paid the price. And to Satan in order to buy us out. Now, there's grains of truth here, but what we have to be really careful with when we look at that theory or think about that theory is the idea that Satan has the prerogative to make demands of God. That Satan is owed something by God. This goes against much of what we see in Scripture. So there's grains of truth here. We move on to the second theory, the moral influence theory. Main proponents... Abelard was a 12th century theologian. Bushnell, some say, is the father of, uh, of modern liberalism, American liberalism. The main point, they said, is there's no necessary payment for sin that needs to be made. The cross simply shows us how much God loves us in order to persuade us to love God. God loves us so much, there's no price that has to be paid for our sins. He loves us, and so when we look at Christ on the cross, we see that God loves us. And he cares for us. This is very strikingly familiar to modern day gospel. Love, 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 love. Care for. No picture of justice and seriousness of sin. No, sin is is a sickness that you just need to be healed from. And God loves you enough to heal you. That's the picture. God is love. Moral influence theory. Next, the example theory. The Sassinians. Uh, following the 16th 16th century theologian who said there's no necessary payment for sin. Again, that's kind of like the moral influence theory, but the difference here is the cross simply demonstrates Christ's love in order to teach us how to live. He's showing us an example for how we should love others. So Christ is teaching us so we can love other people like he loves us. Next, the governmental theory. Hugo Grotius, 17th century theologian, said there's no necessary payment for sin, The cross demonstrates God's justice when the law is broken in order to persuade us to turn from our sin. Instead of focusing on the love of God, Grotius, governmental theory focuses on the justice of God and says not not that this is a price that has to be paid for people's sin, for specific people's sin. Instead, this is God saying, I'm serious about sin as, a ju- as the judge of the universe. I'm going to show it in the way Christ dies on the cross. Governmental theory, God is judge. Next, the satisfaction theory. Anselm, Latin church leaders, this was a, this was a reaction in many ways to the ransom theory and basically saying, no, no the, Satan doesn't demand anything from God. God is the ruler of the universe, and this cross satisfies the honor of God through the sacrifice of the Son of God. And basically... Anselm talked about how, how God is restoring his glory and showing his greatness in the cross. That's the point, showing his rulership, his governorship over all creation. And the good thing about Anselm here is he begins to focus us on a God-centered understanding of the cross. And it leads us to the last one I want to put in front of you, the penal substitution theory. And basically, this was, this was reformers during the Reformation who took what Anselm had done and said, yes, there's a God-centered perspective here. The focus, though, of what's going on on the cross is Jesus is paying the real penalty of sinners in their place as their substitute so that his righteousness might be credited to them. So Jesus is dying as a substitute for sinners. Now, we take all those together, and we've got many different theories re- reflecting dimensions of the atonement. And, and I think we'd be on safe ground saying there's grains of truth in each one of those theories i listed some of them there. The cross is no question a triumph over the forces of evil, sin, and death. No question. The cross communicates the extent of God's love for us. No question we see God's love for us. The cross shows us how to love like Christ. Teaches us how to love. This is what 1 Peter 3 is all about. The cross illustrates the significance of God's justice. We, we definitely see the justice of God expressed in the cross. The cross honors the character of God as Anselm shows us demonstrates the glory of God and the cross demonstrates our need for a substitute but if you had to boil it down and tonight what we're going to boil it down to one central truth expressing the meaning of the atonement I want to show it to you in scripture but if we had to sum it up the cross is about two main words satisfaction through substitution satisfaction through substitution What I want to propose tonight is that this is the heart of the atonement. The heart of what's going on at the cross are these two words, satisfaction through substitution. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.